the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Why would God choose to give this great pronouncement 700 years in advance to this guy, Ahaz? Now, I know that these promises are given really for the plurality of humanity. But God chose in His providence on the timeline of history that on this particular day, Isaiah would be the one to speak these prophecies and direct them toward the king of Judah, Ahaz. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Isaiah, he'll be explaining why God would pronounce the most blessed news to one of the most wicked kings. God chose to speak to King Azaz through the prophet Isaiah and reveal to him the prophecies regarding the Messiah because King Azaz represents the wickedness of humanity. God sent His only Son, even while we were still sinners, to suffer and die on the cross for us. The salvation of mankind is all because of God's grace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, as he continues his message, Mission Messiah, Jesus is Born. He says to Ahaz, really Ahaz, I'm all you've got. And if you don't stand firm in your faith about me and what I can do for you, then you won't stand at all. And that's a great verse for us to remember, isn't it? Because there are times we have to remember that sometimes faith in God is all we've got. I mean, when this life becomes unpredictable and people and circumstances become unreliable, sometimes all we have is faith in God. And if you don't stand firm in your faith with him, then we can't stand at all. So God says this to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, and, and God just wants to encourage this king not to fear the threats of these kings. But, but God doesn't stop there. And in verse 11, we read it a moment ago, God even tells Ahaz to ask me, God says, ask me for a sign. You, you want to you know that I'm going to intervene for you, that I'm going to help you, and I'm, I'm going to be powerful on your behalf? Go ahead. Ask me for a sign. This is what God says to him. He invites him. Ask me for a sign. Now, normally, normally it's not right for us to ask God for a sign. So resist that temptation. Okay, I, I knew a lady years ago. 
doesn't go the cornerstone. But she said to me one time, Pastor Gary, do you think it's wrong that I try to discern the will of God through a sign by rolling dice? <laughs> what? She's like, yeah, when, when I'm trying to make a decision, I don't know what, it, what the answer should be. I feel like maybe God can show me a sign through dice. So I'll like think of a number and then I'll roll it. And if that number shows up, then I think the answer is yes. I said, ma'am, I don't think God rolls Vegas style, you know? And but besides, there's a reason why that game is called craps. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Don't, don't roll dice. Pray. Pray. Jesus even said in Matthew 16, verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Now, in the context of that, in Matthew 16, 4, Jesus said that because there were some religious leaders who did not believe in him as Messiah, so they just wanted Jesus to put on a show for them. Why don't you perform some of your miracles, Jesus? And then Jesus says there in Matthew 16, 4, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So don't test God. However, in this story here, God is actually inviting Ahaz, ask me for a sign and I'll give you one. And Ahaz says in verse 12, nah, it's not, not right for me to put the Lord to the test. I will not ask for a sign. You just want to say, oy vey, Ahaz. I mean, I mean, for goodness sakes, God is saying to you, go ahead and ask me, and you won't even ask. Ask, but he doesn't. So Isaiah speaks up here in verses 13 and 14. Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, meaning, meaning the royal throne of Jerusalem. So he's talking here to Ahaz in a broad sense. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? In other words, Isaiah's like, Ahaz, you get on my nerves. You try and test me. You're going to do that to God too, really? And then Isaiah adds in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah says to him, fine. You, you don't want to ask God for a sign even though he's invited you to ask? You don't want to see the mighty hand of God displayed in your life? Fine. You know what? God's going to show himself strong on your behalf anyway. Yeah, aren't you glad that sometimes when we, in our foolishness, refuse God's help, that he still helps us? Sometimes we don't even know that we're refusing it because we, we, we don't think sometimes to pray. But God still shows up strong. Isaiah says, you know what? Therefore, God himself will give you a sign. And the word you there, the pronoun, God will give you a sign in the Hebrew language is plural. It's plural. Okay, those of you from Philly, you'd read the verse like this. Therefore, the Lord your God will give you a sign. Because what he's about to say here in the rest of verse 14 is not just exclusively to one man, to Ahaz. But this is a promise that is spoken to the plurality of humanity. What I'm about to tell you is a sign for all people, for you plural. And this is what he says, that the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us. He says, this is what God is going to do for you. Now, of course, this verse was fulfilled in Christ and the circumstances related to his birth. Now, this is not just me saying it. Matthew, in his gospel, in chapter 1, quotes from Isaiah 7, 14, saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. 700 years 
Later, Jesus is born after Isaiah speaks these words. And Jesus fulfills this because Mary was a virgin and God visited her. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he impregnated her that she might give birth to the Son of God, that God would descend to us and leave the glory of heaven and wrap himself in skin and enter our world through natural birth, but by a supernatural conception. And thus, the miracle of the virgin birth. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, Matthew again tells us this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, when he writes in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, that all these things related to the birth of Jesus fulfilled in Christ. Now, I want to point out to you before we carry on in our study, just by way of passing, because some of you might be familiar with some liberal Bible scholars or theologians that put a, a slant on Isaiah 14, and they, they will tell you that the word virgin in the original Hebrew language is the word alma, which is true, it is. And they will also say that alma in Hebrew doesn't just mean virgin, it can also mean a young woman who's married, and that is also true. But how do we understand and how do we know for sure that Jesus was actually born of a virgin, as in a woman who's never been with a man versus a young married woman. Here's how. When Matthew writes his gospel in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, Matthew's a Jew. He understands Hebrew. He knows the Hebrew language. But he writes in first century common language, which was Greek. And when Matthew translates Isaiah seven fourteen into Greek, he uses the word parthenos in the Greek for virgin. And Parthenos in the Greek means a woman who has never been with a man to distinguish from just another young woman who might be married. Now, why is this important? Here's why it's important, church. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Why? Because God had to offer a perfect sacrifice as a substitute for us. Here we are, all sinful people, in need of a savior. Well, another sinful person can't save sinful people. You need a perfect sacrifice. You need a perfect faultless savior. So what God did was he came into the world through a natural birth, but a supernatural conception. Every single one of us receives a sin nature from the seed of our fathers. It's handed down to us. Ever since Adam sinned, the sinful nature of mankind is passed from generation to generation. You and I are born into sin. We are conceived in sin. And therefore, we do sin when we are born. It's our sin nature. God bypassed the sin nature of humanity by miraculously impregnating Mary with his own nature so that then the original sin nature was not transferred to Jesus. He would be fully human coming through a natural birth, but fully divine through a natural, a supernatural rather, conception. And thus Jesus is the only one who can be that sinless, perfect sacrifice to die for all of us as sinners. It's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. So Alma, don't, don't listen to the liberal theologians about all that nonsense. Matthew knew that it's a virgin here. It's a mirac miraculous conception 
Now, if you look further into chapter 9, because my time's escaping, because I've got to wrap all this up. There's a point here. Don't, don't, don't fade out. There's a point here. Isaiah even then tells us the region of Messiah's ministry. This is fascinating. Chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Zebulun and Naphtali were tribal allotments of land. And if you look at a map, Zebulun and Naphtali hugged the western coast of the Sea of Galilee up in northern Israel, western coast of the Sea of Galilee, and come up above it north. When God allowed the Assyrians, as the rod of his discipline, to correct the northern territory of Israel, the Assyrians came first by attacking the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so God says here, in the past, God humbled them. Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the future, okay, this is prophetically talking about Christ. In the future, God will show his favor by the Gentile, by the Galilee of the Gentiles and by the way of the sea. That's the rest of that verse. Now, here's what he means. In Isaiah's day and even in Jesus' day, there was a great population of Gentiles living in the region of the Galilee. The Assyrians came, the Romans later would come, so there was a great number of Gentiles, so it was known in those days as the Galilee of the Gentiles, but it's telling us the region of the Galilee, and then he gets specific, by the way of the sea along the Jordan, God's favor will come, and and that speaks of the trade route. There's a trade route still today, but now it's paved. There's a trade route that connects Africa, hugs the coast of the Mediterranean, going north, jogs east, goes to the Sea of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, and then over to ancient Mesopotamia. It was called by the way of the sea. Today when we go to Israel, we stand on that road, and it's called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. Jesus's ministry occurred in a little town of Capernaum to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee along the way of the sea. Isaiah is saying here, that Messiah's ministry will actually be located along this trade route, along the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And that's why God will then show grace to Zebulun and Naphtali, because that region will be the first to receive his ministry. Now, why did Jesus choose to have Capernaum as as his home base? He's born in Bethlehem, he's raised in Nazareth, but he moves to Capernaum in the year of his ministry. For three years he lives there, because... In a a time when there's no internet, there's no social media, there's no 24-hour cable news network, what's the way that you can best communicate around the the known world? You situate your life along a major trade route. And that's what Jesus was doing. And Isaiah saw all this. Isaiah speaks of it prophetically. Look further here in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 6, where he talks about for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Those important words there, to be born, speaks of Jesus' humanity, born from a woman. But he is given because Jesus did not come into existence when he was born. He has always eternally existed, being God himself. So he was given to the world through this natural birth, but a supernatural conception. And then also at the end of verse 6, it speaks about how the government will be on his shoulders and 
Increase of the government and peace, there'll be no end. He's going to reign on David's throne. This last section primarily refers to the millennial kingdom when Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem after his second coming. But in essence, when you tie all of these things here that Isaiah is saying to us, he's saying to us that the Messiah will be born of a virgin 700 years before Christ. That he is Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh, that his ministry will be situated along the Via Maris, by the Sea of Galilee, that he is the light of the world, that he will be born, but also given, that he will forever rule and reign as the descendant of David, that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And Isaiah sees this. But now this question, and this is the last question, but don't fade out on me because this is the most important part of all of this. Why would God choose to give this great pronouncement 700 years in advance to this guy, Ahaz? Now, I know that these promises are given really for the plurality of humanity. But God chose in his providence on the timeline of history that on this particular day, Isaiah would be the one to speak these prophecies and direct them toward the king of Judah, Ahaz. Why would he do that? And here's the reason why it's an important question to ask. Let me tell you a little bit about Ahaz. The Bible says he was a wicked king. He was a very wicked king. When he first was afraid of the king of Israel and the king of Syria to come down and attack him, you know what he did? 2 Kings chapter 16 gives us some history that fills in the gap. It says that King Ahaz went into the treasury of the house of God and stole silver and gold and offered it to another king, the king of Assyria, in what is modern Iraq, to come and help him. And I'll pay you out of the treasury of God's house. I'll give you money if you will fight the king of Israel and the king of Syria who are trying to attack me. And the king of Assyria takes his money and kills the king of Syria and helps to defend Ahaz. But he stole money out of God's house to buy favor from another king. In addition, when he goes to pay his gratitude to the king of Assyria, he meets him in Syria at Damascus. And 2 Kings 16 tells us that while in Damascus, a pagan city... He's outside of Israel now. These are pagan people worshiping pagan gods. He sees this pagan altar, and he likes it so much, the design of it. He thinks it's really beautiful. He sketches it, the Bible says, on a piece of paper, sketches it out, sends it by messenger to Uriah, the priest in Jerusalem. Says, Uriah, I want you to build me an altar just like this, and I want you to replace God's altar, because I'm bringing, I want this. By the time he gets home, Uriah has built that altar, a pagan altar, and removed God's altar from the temple and put that one there. And Ahaz worships false gods in the temple on this pagan altar. That's a replica of what he saw in Damascus. In addition, 2 Chronicles 28 says that he shut the temple of God, told everybody, you don't need to go to God's house anymore and worship him. You can worship him wherever you want. And in fact, the Bible says that Ahaz offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. That's 2 Kings 16.4. He just started to worship all these false gods however he wanted, closed the house of God, got a pagan altar, paid off another foreign king with God's money, 
And it gets worse. One last thing. I'll put the verse up on the screen for you. It's 2 Chronicles 28, 1 to 3. This is what it says. Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and also made cast idols for worshiping the Baals. These are the false gods. And he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his sons in the fire following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Why is all this background important information? Because God determined to announce the most blessed news for all of humanity to one of the most wicked kings who ever lived. This guy was a worshiper of false gods, and he killed his own sons in the worship of these false gods. Why would God show up to him and say to Ahaz, go ahead, ask me for a sign, I want to help you. Why this guy? Why does this guy deserve a chance? And Ahaz said, I don't even want to put God to the test. Are you kidding me, Ahaz? The audacity? You've been putting God to a test all your life. You've murdered your own babies. And you would dare say to God, I don't want to put God to the test. And God still even says, well, then, therefore, I'll show you a sign myself. Why to this guy? Of all the people, why would God show up? and help him and declare to him the greatest news about humanity, that therefore God will give you a sign that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Why to him would he say, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given? Why all this? Because Ahaz is typical of humanity. Ahaz is in me. Ahaz is in you. I know we can play the game of comparing ourselves with other people and trying to feel better about ourselves compared to someone that we can find that we think are worse than we, but the fact of the matter is that we're all sinners. We all have done and said and thought sinful, evil things. And God showed up to illustrate that even for the most wicked of people, Ahaz, let me give you the promise that will be for all humanity, for all the Ahazes after you. I will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to call him Emmanuel, God with us. For to us, a child is born and to us, to all of us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, establishing it in justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Give praise to God. He died for all of us. God knew exactly what he was doing when he offered this promise to someone undeserving. Because all of us are undeserving. But God in his love for us says, but I'm going to do something for you you cannot do for yourself. And I'm going to do something for you that you do not deserve. I'm going to come into this world and take on flesh and die as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of this world. That's the love of the Father for you and me. He didn't pick someone who was, quote, good or righteous to announce this news to. He picked someone that was the most depraved and wicked of his day so that all of us could relate when we realize our own personal need for the cross expressed as the love of God in the sacrifice of his son 
for us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners. So please give us a call if you have a moment and tell us how you've been impacted by this ministry. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there, along with companion study resources. Just look under the Teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the Teaching tab. Or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.